You ever been really thirsty? You know, I was reading this week about uh, thirst, and one of the things that I discovered is that our body, on average, uses anywhere from four to nine cups of water a day. Four to nine. Depends on what you do, how active. Like if you're doing the Mount Acosta Classic, it may be more than nine cups, but that's a lot of water. So it's no wonder you're thirsty. And if you're nervous, like if you've got to stand up in front of a bunch of people and talk, your body actually uses more water then than it does if you're just sitting out listening to somebody standing up in front of you talking. You know, if your body doesn't get enough water, it tells you that. And it tells you in a number of ways. It starts off pretty simple and subtle, but it begins to ring the alarm bell louder and louder. Some of you have experienced this. So it starts off with just a dry mouth. You've had that before. A little bit of a dry mouth. And you feel like, hmm, I think I could use some water. It's your body telling you, hey, I don't have enough water inside, so you need to get a drink. But if you ignore that, then it can go something worse. So your body will say, all right, signal the headache, start the headache. So the headache starts. Get just a little bit of a headache, and sometimes that's because you're not drinking enough water. If you still don't get a drink, you might get a little dizzy and dehydration starting to set in. After that, your body signals your muscles to start cramping up to tell you, hey, you need to stop and drink some water right now. And if you don't, still don't get a drink, other things happen, worse things happen. Your blood pressure can be affected, your heart rate can be affected, lots of things can happen, and ultimately you will die if you don't drink. You've got to have it. Your body's designed to have water. But do you know that most of the time that you're thirsty, it has nothing to do with your body at all? Researchers have discovered that most of the time that people go to get a drink and say they're thirsty, it has nothing to do with a physical need. It has everything to do with social pressures. In other words, you watch somebody else drink a glass of water, and what do you want? A glass of water. You see images on a screen of some nice cold beverages, and what do you want? You want a nice cold beverage. Marketers have known this for a long time. That's why if you ever watch a commercial for a soda and they open the soda, they, they do it in slow motion, don't they? So that the spark of the, of the liquid coming out is just slow. And it, what does it do? Immediately, you're sitting there watching TV. You weren't even thinking about getting a drink. But suddenly, you're going to the refrigerator, seeing what's in there, right? And if they're, they're hoping that if their product isn't in your refrigerator, that you'll leave and go buy their product because that's the only thing that's really going to quench your thirst is if you get what it is that they want you to have. C.S. Lewis uh, famously said about humans, of which we are all in that group, I think we're all here humans, but everybody who's a human, here's what he said, that we are not bodies that have a spirit, But we're spirits that have a body. Now think about that for just a second. That we're not bodies that just happen to have a spirit. But rather, at our essence, we are spiritual creatures that have a body, that have a physical body. He goes on to explain that every physical urge, every physical need we have then, points us to a deeper spiritual reality. So what that that looks like is that the desire to eat When I'm not really hungry, because we've all been there too, right? Like you're not really hungry. Your body doesn't need food. You're not starving to death. But you're going to go to the refrigerator and find something anyway. Every time my my, my body has this crave to eat and I'm not really hungry, it's about a deeper hunger. It's about a hunger that God has placed inside of us that food can't satisfy. A desire to drink when I'm not thirsty is about something other than physical thirst. 
that every physical urge points to a higher spiritual reality. Today we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus had with a woman that exemplifies this. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to John chapter 4. There are Bibles in front of you. You can also, electronic device, we'll put it on the screen as well if you want to follow along. But John chapter 4 tells this story and it deals with this idea of thirst and, and what we do when we're thirsty. So John chapter 4. Now let me give you a little background uh, of this passage and where we've been because it, it, it plays a part, a significant part in our conversation. Jesus has just come from the area of Judea where he was baptizing with his disciples. His disciples were actually the ones doing the baptizing, but also in that area his cousin John the Baptist was there. And some of you may remember that there was a controversy that erupted, not between Jesus and John, but between some of the religious leaders who were trying to stir up trouble and pit the two against each other. And they had pointed out to John that, hey, John, everybody's leaving you, and they're going over and following this Jesus now. Well, Jesus wasn't really interested in a popularity contest, and so he and the disciples, they leave that area, and they head back towards Galilee. Now, between Judea and Galilee is an area called Samaria, and Jesus and his posse are passing through that on his way. John chapter 4, verse 5, here's what it said. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So we already know that there is something historically significant about this area. There's there's a significant part in Israel's history, and it's going to come back up in just a few minutes, but Jesus is walking by this place that carries a significant historic meaning for the Jews. Jacob's well was there, and in fact, it's still there today, and it still produces water today. It's been there for thousands of years in that part of the world. If you can, you can Google it, you look online and see pictures of it. So Jesus, and what's this next word? It's in yellow on the screen. So Jesus what? Wearied, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now the sixth hour is a time reference. John is putting a time stamp on here. And what that means is that was about noon. So it was in the heat of the day. And Jesus and the disciples had probably gotten up early that morning and had walked all day. It was hot, he was tired, he was weary, and he's sitting down. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, what did he say? Give me a what? A drink. And then in parentheses, John says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy, what's that next word? Food. So what do we see in this in these few verses already. First of all, we see that Jesus is hot. We see that he's tired. We see that he's hungry. And we see that he's thirsty. And this man who just a couple chapters ago turned water into wine is thirsty. John is very intentional about making sure we understand Jesus' physical limitations. And I don't know your background with the Bible or your background with church. For many of us, we were grown up and taught that the Bible is God's word and we can trust what it says as true. But, but for many others, maybe you were not raised in that environment or maybe you went off to college and you had a college professor who challenged uh, what you believe about the Bible. Maybe they upheld it as literature but said that's all it was. You know, I, I think passages like this really for me encourage me and, and, and help confirm inside of me the reliability of the Bible. And especially this passage that John is writing here. Because given who Jesus claimed to be 
And given who the gospel writers were trying to tell people that he was, it was not in their best interest to highlight Jesus' human, human aspects, to talk about his physical limitations. I mean, let's just talk about the fact that he turned water into wine. Let's just talk about the fact that he healed people, that he raised the dead, that he walked on water. Let's just talk about those stories that prove our point that this is God-made flesh who's come to dwell among us. I mean, if you and I were trying to write something to communicate to people that this is the Son of God, wouldn't it have been tempting just to focus on those those stories that exemplified his power and that confirmed our point and leave out everything that might dispute it? But do you know what? John and none of the gospel writers did that. They included the fact that Jesus was tired And that when he didn't have enough food, he was hungry. And when he didn't have enough to drink, he was thirsty. And that when the sun was shining, he was hot. And do you know why they included them? Because he was hungry. And he was thirsty. And he got tired. And they wrote them and included them in the gospel because it's what really happened. And they are recording for us, recording for us in their stories, exactly what really happened. So here he is. He's hot, he's tired, he's thirsty, he's hungry. He, for whatever reason, he has left behind. He sent his disciples on to go and find some food. And up comes this, this woman to this well. And it's the middle of the day, which is an odd time for a woman to come to a well. And she's by herself, which is also odd. But here she is. She comes up and he asks her, give me a drink. And listen to her response in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Now, this seems like an obvious question, but, but maybe for us it's not so obvious because we live in a culture where men talk to women all the time. In this day and age and in this region of the world, even still today, if you go to the Middle East, men do not speak to women who are not their uh, wives or their sisters or their daughters. It's just not done. And it wasn't done in Jesus' day and age and well, as well. And worse than that, not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan woman. Um, researchers and uh, theologians have discovered, Jewish historians have, have confirmed, that it was around this time that the, Jew, the Jewish religious leaders passed a new law that said that Jewish men were never, for any reason, permitted to speak to Samaritan women. So it, it just was something that wasn't done. So this woman is shocked. And then in a parenthesis after it, just to make sure we understand, John includes this bit of information. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now what's interesting about that is that in the original Greek language, what that literally says is Jews do not use dishes Samaritans have used. Now think about that. Because we don't have to go too far back in our own history, do we, to remember separate water fountains. I mean, this is racism at its core. I mean, it's not enough that you can't just interact. You don't even touch something that they touched because the contamination may seep over to you. I mean, this is deep-seated hatred that's here. They, they had no interaction with them whatsoever. And, and what's fascinating is that Jesus does not hesitate to say, I'm thirsty You've got a bucket, there's a well, will you give me a drink? 
And he engages in a conversation with this woman that was recorded and for thousands of years has been talked about in churches all around the world. And what this points us back to is a very famous verse. We talked about it several weeks ago. John chapter 3, verse 16. Say just the first part with me. For God so... The world. Did you catch that? That there wasn't anybody excluded. And it's almost as if John wants you to know that by giving you two stories on either side of that verse. The first encounter is, is an encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Do you remember this religious leader that came to Jesus? And then the second encounter is this woman, is this, this encounter that he had with this Samaritan woman. And they could not be further apart from one another. Nicodemus came to Jesus on his own. And he came at night. Because he wasn't really sure he wanted to be seen talking to Jesus. The interesting thing about the Samaritan woman is that she didn't come to him. In fact, it was Jesus who initiated the conversation with her. And he did it in the middle of the daytime when anybody who was around could see it. You've got Nicodemus who is a powerful figure in the religious establishment. You've got the Samaritan woman who has no authority, no power whatsoever. You've got Nicodemus who's highly educated and very learned. And you've got this Samaritan woman who was probably illiterate. You've got Nicodemus who has influence and power. You've got the Samaritan woman who has no influence whatsoever. She, she even goes to the well at an odd time by herself because she has been ostracized from her community. You've got two very different people. You could not find two people further apart than Nicodemus and the woman at the well. But do you know that they both had the same need? And Jesus was the one who could satisfy that need. And that's what he came to do. Because God so loved the world that nobody was left out of this. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter who your family is, what your heritage is. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. Jesus comes to meet the needs of people. And that's what he's doing here. He's coming to accomplish his mission. Look what he says in verse 10 in response to this question. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now there's a couple things happening here. First of all, did you notice that Jesus has pivoted the whole conversation? It's taken a 180 degree turn. At first we were talking about Jesus' physical thirst. And suddenly Jesus has turned the conversation to this woman's spiritual dehydration. See, I'm coming to you and asking you for a drink, but if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water. Now, living water is an interesting phrase. Um, It it, it would be likened for us to what we call running water. Uh, Running water, water that is moving. In, In the Jewish customs and laws, only living water, water that was moving, could be used for religious rituals. So the hand-washing rites and all the purification rites, you had to have running water. Now, if you think about that, that doesn't sound difficult to us because of our context. But if you go back in time 2,000 years and you go to an arid climate, finding running water would not have been very easy. And so there were wells and cisterns that would collect 
that would collect rainwater, that would tap into springs of water that were deep under the earth. And this was the water that they would use to drink and feed their animals. It was, what, it was the water that sustained their life. But that water wasn't good enough for the religious purposes that the priests were telling them about. That if you want to be pure, you have to find running water. Well, many people didn't even have access to that. They, they might even live most of their life without access to running water, or they would have to travel a good distance to get there. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you knew who was talking to you, you would understand, I could give you the good stuff. I could give you running water. And this is what she says in verse 11. So the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. I mean, she's, she's understanding him in a very literal sense. It reminds us a lot of the way Nicodemus' conversation, he understood Jesus in a very literal sense. Jesus is clearly talking about something of a greater significance. He's using a physical need, a physical reality to point to a deeper spiritual truth. You have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. So Jesus, you got some problems. I mean, you're talking about how you're the source of living water, buddy. You don't even have a bucket. And if you had a bucket, you still don't have a rope. And that water is a long way down in that well. How are you going to get the water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, this well, Jacob's well... Uh, was dug by a man obviously named Jacob. And if you remember the story in Genesis, Jacob's name was eventually changed to Israel. And it is Jacob that the nation ta- where the nation takes its name. So the nation of Israel takes its name from Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons were the 12 tribes of Israel. So here's what this woman is saying. Listen, Jesus... You need to know that this well isn't just any well. It is this well that provided water and sustenance to the namesake of our nation and to his 12 sons. If it weren't for this well, we might not even be here. This is the well that brings life. This is the well that sustained us. Are you telling me, are you seriously telling me That you've got access to water that's better than this? Are you saying to me that you are better than Jacob who dug this well? Now this well was clearly a source of pride. Not just for this woman, but for this entire town and for all the Samaritans. You see, the Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were the remnant of a group of Jews who remained in Palestine after the rest of the Jews had been taken into exile. They were left to sort of tend the land and tend the farms. And and meanwhile, these conquering nations would bring in people from other nations, and they would mix in with the Jews. And so when the Jews finally were brought back from captivity into Palestine, they had this group of people who had been mixed in with all these other races they had mixed in other religious practices and they had this name Samar- they were called Samaritans and they were absolutely hated by the Jews but within their region was this well this well that belonged to Jacob it was almost as if they were saying see we are a part we belong to this nation too this well is proof that we're a part we're considered a part of it it was significant But listen to what Jesus said in verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water 
will be thirsty again. (laughs) That's kind of one of those statements that you should just run right past. But before you do, think about what Jesus is saying. Because this woman knows it's true. She has come to this well probably every day of her life since she could walk. Maybe even more than once a day. She knows and understands because she was probably born and raised in that town that it was this well that, that, that drew her and drew the women of her village every day and it was what provided the water that sustained their life. And Jesus points out the obvious to her. You come to this well every day and you just get thirsty again. And it doesn't matter who dug it. And it doesn't matter how historically significant it is. And it doesn't matter what it proves about how you belong to the nation. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you are still going to be thirsty. But, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring. In other words, Jesus says, I will give you a water that provides its own source. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I want to just stop for a minute and think about this well that this woman is going to. Because it's about more than the water here. I mean, this woman is going to this well, and and she's, she's clearly tapping in to the history of her people, trying to find some source of justification for herself and her friends. That that somehow maybe the, the well of heritage, the well of legacy, will be enough to stake our claim. It will be enough to satisfy the thirst of our souls. You know, people still do that today. They they talk about the faith of their mom or their dad or the faith of their grandparents. As if that source would be enough to satisfy and meet the needs of their souls. But it never does, does it? It doesn't. That somehow if we go to the wells of the past, maybe we could could find satisfaction for the needs of today. This looks different for everyone. For some of you, you go back in the past and you live in what is called the good old days. Because there's something about the good old days that brings some measure of comfort and satisfaction to your soul. It doesn't last because the needs of today ultimately come back over and over again. This woman, we're going to find out it's not just the wells of the past that she's going to. She also goes to the well of religion. We're going to read next week how she tried to assert a religious argument that talked about where you worship as being the source of some kind of satisfaction for the soul. The wells of religion don't satisfy the deeper spiritual need. Some of you know that because you come to the well of religion every week and you still leave thirsty. Because there's no amount of religious ritual, there are no amount of worship services you can go to that can meet the deepest need, but she's going to go to the well of religion. We are going to find out also that she goes to the well of relationships. This woman's been married multiple times, she's been in a number of relationships, it's probably why she's come to the well by herself. She's trying to satisfy the need of her soul at the well of relationships, and yet she is still thirsty. 
And Jesus is telling her the same thing that he told the high and mighty moral religious leader Nicodemus. Listen, there's nothing that's going to satisfy the deepest longing of your soul other than what I have to give you. You know, it's, it's interesting that this idea, this whole conversation started with Jesus talking about his physical need. I'm thirsty. And it pivots to her spiritual thirst. Now John, who's writing this, is also going to record for us what happened and what Jesus said on the cross. And 15 chapters later, in John chapter 19, in verse 28, right before Jesus says, it is finished, do you know the last thing that Jesus said? We'll put it on the screen and you read it with me. I thirst. I thirst. That Jesus himself took on the physical needs in order that we might receive the spiritual benefits. That he said, I thirst... And then he died on the cross to provide eternal life and springs of living water for everyone. Let me ask you a question. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? I'm not just talking about for a nice glass of water. I'm talking about is there something inside of your soul Something deep inside, and you can't, you can't qualify it, you don't know how to explain it, but there's something deep inside of you that's longing for something, and you try to find solutions, you try to find satisfaction for that thirst. Are you thirsty? And if you are, what are the wells that you find yourself going to over and over again to satisfy the thirst? For some, maybe like this woman, it's the, it's the well of the past. Or maybe it's the well of religion. Or maybe it's the well of relationships. And you just find yourself thinking, if I could just find the right person, if I could just find the right woman, if I could find the right man, if I could find a good friend, maybe this deep thirst inside of me would finally be quenched. It won't be. Do you know how I know that? Because you've had other relationships that you thought would satisfy that thirst and they left you thirsty, didn't they? They may have left you more thirsty than before you had the relationship. Maybe for some of you, the well you go to is achievement and success and work. And so you find some sort of fulfillment in in what you do and what you produce. and, and, And yet the minute you stop doing it, The thirst just returns over and over again. And so you work more and more and more because you have to keep going back to the well of achievement and success. Maybe for some of you, the well is financial gain. And you think, if I could just get this much money in the bank account, if I could just have this much in savings, if I could just have this much in my retirement, then I would be satisfied. But you reach those milestones and what always happens? The goalpost moves a little further, doesn't it? Always. For some of you, you go to the well of of shopping and spending money and you think if I could just buy the right outfit, if I could just drive the right car, if I could just live in the right neighborhood, then maybe I would find satisfaction. But over and over again, you go to that well, you get temporary satisfaction, and before the sun sets, you find yourself thirsty again. Some of you are going 
literally to a can of beer or a bottle of liquor or you're going to a prescription drug bottle to satisfy a thirst. And it only leaves you wanting more and more and more. And the appetite only builds itself bigger. Because what you need cannot be found in any other place but the source of living water. And his name is Jesus. He says, I will give you living water for which you'll never be thirsty again. Listen to what the woman says in response because this is, this is really important. Because you need to know that you don't have to keep going to those wells. Listen to what she said. Verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. She said, I don't want to come to this well anymore. And it's not because the well is bad. Listen, I'm not suggesting that your wells are sinful. Some of them may be. Some of them aren't. I don't know. It's not for me to determine that. Some of them may be good things. But they're lesser things. And ultimately, they hold you in bondage because they require that you come time and time and time again to find less and less satisfaction for what it is you're longing for. This woman gets to the heart and she says, give me this water because I don't want to be enslaved to the wells of this world anymore. And if you want to find freedom from the wells that draw you in every day, This woman has pointed you to the solution, and the solution is the one whom she's asking for the water. His name is Jesus. Let me read to you what C.S. Lewis wrote about this idea of our cravings. He said in Mere Christianity, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy. Have you ever been there? Come on. How many of you have been there? Raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. And you're in church. We've all been there. It's like it's never enough, is it? I can't seem to find anything to quench this thirst. Nothing is good enough. If we have a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, probably... My earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. That maybe God allows us to be thirsty periodically through the day, causes us to stir with hunger pains and other urges to draw our attention beyond the temporary nature of this world and into the eternal to say there is something that will finally and ultimately satisfy the deepest needs of your heart, but you won't find it here. This is why when John was pinning what he saw in heaven, the vision he saw of heaven, Revelation chapter 22, I have to believe that John John remembers the conversation that Jesus had with this woman at the well. John remembers what Jesus said on the cross 
I thirst. John knows what it means to be in need, to be hungry, to be thirsty. And listen to what one of the final descriptions in the Bible is. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it says this, And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come and drink freely. Are you thirsty? And are you tired of going to the same old wells that no longer satisfy? The invitation extends down through the years, thousands of years later. The invitation is still there for you today. And Jesus extends it to all who are thirsty. Come and drink of the living water. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. And as we conclude today, I'm just going to invite you to, uh, to just in a, in a moment, in a, way of, uh, in a way of recognizing and just confessing the needs that may exist inside of your own heart. How, how many of you today would just confess, and everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many of you just say today, uh, doesn't matter if you're a Christian, how many of you just say, I'm thirsty? Just raise your hand. If any kind of longing inside of you, you're thirsty. There's a lot of us. A lot of us here are thirsty. I want you to know something. That the source of living water who satisfies the deepest need of our souls recognizes and knows that the life that we live here will constantly try to draw us back to those wells. And maybe today you just needed a reminder of where your true source of satisfaction is. For others of you who are here today and you've never tasted of the living water that Jesus offers, I would just ask you, why not? You've already discovered and know it's true that the wells that offer temporary satisfaction only end up becoming slave masters that draw you back over and over again. So if you've tried all of them and you're still thirsty, why wouldn't you try? the source of living water. And it's easy. If you ask for it, Jesus says, I'll give it. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to pray the words that maybe define and describe your heart. And if they do, you can pray these words along with me. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today and we're thirsty. Father, there's a deep need inside of our souls that only you can satisfy. We admit that we've gone to wells that only make us come over and over again and do not fully and completely meet the deepest needs of our souls. And we confess that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the source of living water that never runs dry. So right now, today, I come to you And I ask you for the living water that you offered this woman 2,000 years ago. That it's still sufficient to meet the deepest needs of my heart. And I commit myself to follow after you and to continue to drink from the source of living water. Father, today as we meet here in worship, there are people here who for the very first time have asked 
that you be their source of living water. And I would ask, Father, that you would quench their thirst like nothing ever has. I believe today, Father, that there are people who are in bondage to wells that today can be set free. Lord, may it be so. Father, we pray that you would move and work in our time of commitment. Whether whether we walk an aisle and come and kneel at the steps or whether we stay in our seats and don't move, Father, we, we just pray that living water would flow through the aisles and the hearts and the lives of everybody who's here, that none would leave this place today thirsty. For we ask it in the name of the one who is the source of living water, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand together as we sing a song of invitation. And maybe today you would like to come. Maybe you would kneel here at these steps and pray, or maybe you would want to pray with me. Maybe today you would say, hey, I prayed that prayer with you. I prayed for that spring of living water. We would like nothing better but to rejoice with you and your newfound source of life. You respond as the Holy Spirit leads and as we sing together.